This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. My name is Jessica Sullivan and I work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Today we'll be speaking about elder abuse, which is a sensitive and sometimes confronting topic. We want this to be a safe space for listeners, so if you need support at any time, there are services that can help and you can find their contact details in the notes below. Also, if you suspect elder abuse may be occurring to someone in your life, then please speak up. If you're on the Central Coast, you can call the Legal Aid New South Wales Elder Abuse Service directly on 02432456611. And for anywhere else across Australia, please call the National Elder Abuse Helpline, which is 1800 353 374, and they will transfer you to the closest elder abuse service. These episodes were recorded and made on both Darkenjung and Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. We acknowledge that this is Aboriginal land, always was, always will be. Now, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you will have become familiar with our style. We generally tell you about a legal problem, what it is, who it can affect, and things you can do to help clients who might be experiencing it. But elder abuse is not a simple legal problem. It's complex, it comes in many forms, it doesn't discriminate across gender or cultural lines, and the abuser is often a family member, a trusted friend or a carer. This series, which we have called Hard Conversations, explores a problem that is challenging and we know there's not going to be one right answer for every person, community or culture. So throughout this series, you're going to hear from lots of different people about their understanding of elder abuse, the ways they think about it in their communities and how we can start to address it together. Now, as I said, there is no one right answer. There are lots of things you could do to help people who may be experiencing or are at risk of elder abuse, and we are just going to be talking about some of them. And we don't want this conversation to stop here. We want this to be ongoing. We want to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions, then please get in touch with us. Maybe you have an idea about how to talk to older people or the community about elder abuse, or maybe you want to join in the conversation and tell our listeners what you think or a bit about your experiences. So if you'd like to get in touch or send us your thoughts on this uh, series, then please send us an email at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. And a special thank you to Gambira, who has created and produced the music that we have used throughout these episodes. We encourage community organisations who are not specifically Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations to make sure that their staff have cultural awareness training if they are working with older Aboriginal people and Aboriginal communities. This can help with understanding the issues older Aboriginal people might experience and help to develop effective communication skills. For example, it can help develop awareness and respect of differences and avoid making generalisations and assumptions. There are many places to look for cultural awareness training. One place to start is asking your local Aboriginal Land Council. Now we met BJ, or Barry Duncan, in a previous episode, but we are going to hear from him again now about the importance of connecting with Aboriginal services and Aboriginal Land Councils and the work they do. You will also hear from my CLE colleague, Jennifer Hansen, who has researched and held these interviews. So my name's um, Barry Duncan, commonly called BJ around the traps. I'm a Gomorrah man, originally from northwestern New South Wales, but I've lived on the Central Coast for about 50-odd years. 
Um, I'm also heavily involved with the Aboriginal community here on the coast, and part of that um, community is our elders' community. So I was responsible for helping set up the first Aboriginal home care services, which was Darrow Miralon, which worked heavily with our um, elders, and also to um, involving our elders more with our local Aboriginal Lands Council um, and getting them involved in many other many of the issues that are involved with lands councils. Um, because, you know, there's a saying in the land rights movement that, it, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and a lot of those elders were were those actual giants that made those initial steps for us. Can you just tell us a bit more about what the Aboriginal Land Council is and how people can get in contact with them? Darkenjung Local Aboriginal Lands Council or any local lands council was established under the 1983 Aboriginal Land Rights Act. So those local lands councils can claim vacant crown land um, and they can actually administer that land on behalf of Aboriginal people. And the main purpose of lands councils are to improve the socio-economic status of Aboriginal people on the Central Coast. I'm pleased to say that Darkenjung has been a forerunner in that and the fact that we've had some good developments that's brought in a good income for us as a community, but it's been able for us to do things a lot more independently um, and a lot more um, in that self-determination mode about what we want to do with funds that affect our people. So anybody can become a member of a local lands council. Um, they're a difference to the native title claimant groups. So anybody can become a member if they uh, identify as being Aboriginal, they're accepted as such in, in the community. And it's just a matter of going through the normal processes that our local lands council has got in place um, to become a member. So what sort of work are you able to get people involved in? So a lot of the elders are actually, um, it's encouraging them to stay in contact, first of all, because they've got a lot of knowledge. They're tending to drift away now because of, you know, whether it be age or, you know, the family's now left home. There's the feeling that they can't get a lift to the uh, Lands Council meetings because they're held at night and stuff like that. So recently now we've changed our agenda from not having night meetings to having weekend meetings so that the elders can come along to those. Um, other areas they're looking about as well as actually looking at how we as a lands council provide funding for elders as a community benefit scheme. So our elders are encouraged to come along, apply to the lands council if they want to participate um, in a, a, an arts course or a music course. So we've got funds available that they can access to buy an instrument or to buy artwork and brushes and you know, so that they're a lot more um, the mind's a lot more healthier and their activities is a lot more stronger within community. Yeah, and a really big step to um, take if you see abuse is to try and link people in with community again. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a really big issue here on the coast because um, you've got to remember that the central coast is over 120 kilometres long. So our community is even more discreet now because of the, the tyranny of difference. Uh, and when you look at getting our community involved, if you're living at one end of the coast, it's hard to get up to the lands council or to a medical service if you're an elder um, to get that service delivery. Um, so, you know, the isolation issue is a really big issue that we try to tackle um, as a community uh, and, you know, as a lands council. So I'm trying to now link in with the Lands Council uh, through my position with the Community Legal Service. Um, for instance, uh, our wills program that we've got. So Darkington's got a very highly successful funeral fund. When we did um, our, one of our developments, we managed to put a bit of money aside and invest that so that our members through the Lands Council can actually have peace of mind about when they pass. 
But what we've noticed with that is that a lot of the people are passing without making wills or power of attorneys as well. So um, what I had to do in my time with the Community Legal Centre in, in Wong is actually attach a wills program or a power of attorney or a, a guardianship order along with the person um, that's going through bad times so that the family can have peace of mind when it comes down to actually, you know, when they do pass or not in a position to make an informed decision. Yeah, they lose their capacity. Yes. And I suppose there's a thing about that too, which I don't know if you see, but um, where if you've got a power of attorney, even when people are alive, it, it, it's clear what they want and family know what they want so they don't have to worry about it or argue about it or anything. Do you Yeah, that's right, that Jen. I see a lot of that in community. Being one of the founders of the local lands council as well, I know the difficulties of actually deal and grieving process that our communities go through. But then to see families literally torn apart um, by... Um, and there's not much wealth involved with Aboriginal communities, but there's some things that in um, that are held by um, the deceased or the, or the elderly person, like photographs and um, parts of little bits of furniture that they have, uh, or pictures of um, you know previous uh, people that they've grown and known over their life. But I could see that there's a problem that eventuates when they do pass and family is literally torn apart by the fighting over those those pictures so it, i think it's just really good for our elders to be able to know before they pass that they're going to be looked after and who's going to get what in the family another argument that i see when when we lose our elders is that you know part of the family say oh no they don't want to be buried here on the central coast they want to be taken home to country and then another family member say, no, no, we're going to bury you here on the Central Coast because we're going to get buried here on the Central Coast. So I think to have the person nominate or uh, have some sort of something in writing that's concrete to say where they actually uh, want to rest is another great thing. Yeah, and I'm just thinking while people are alive, you know, if they, you know, they can say, well, I want so-and-so to help me go to the bank and mm. I want so-and-so to help me go to the doctor and I mm. want so-and-so to make a decision about this mm. and that. that. That sort of also can help. It does task things, Jen. Um, they're really important. But even if, um, you know, it's access to grandkids, it's access to other family as well, that really um, if an elder is experienced differently in mobility or stuff like that as well, they know that they can actually, um, there's an avenue to make approaches through the, either the legal system or even through um, the local lands council about getting access and stuff like that. And I see my role as an Aboriginal access worker to actually provide those links to somebody that they can get good information off, um, good legal advice of as well. Organisations can implement internal policies and strategies, such as reconciliation action plans. Formal policies can ensure that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are consulted, included and are able to participate. There is a link to the Seniors' Rights Service Reconciliation Plan in the show notes below. So, to learn a bit more about cultural awareness training and reconciliation action plans, we're now going to hear from Scott Hawkins from the Legal Aid Aboriginal Services Branch. So my name's Scott Hawkins. I'm the manager of the Aboriginal 
services branch here at Legal Aid New South Wales. Um, so basically coordinating all Aboriginal client service strategies, um, our Aboriginal employment strategy, um, and basically anything that relates to Aboriginal people's engagement with uh, Legal Aid New South Wales services. Could you tell us a little bit about how community organisations might go about finding appropriate cultural awareness training. Yeah, sure. I think it depends very much on what type of program you're looking for. Um, you can get foundational cultural awareness training that can be very easily sourced. I guess the most important aspect of it is to ensure that you um, engage with people locally. So use those local service providers of if it's possible. So with cultural awareness training, I definitely recommend starting locally with organisations like your um, local Aboriginal land councils, uh, local Aboriginal medical services, the Aboriginal legal service. Generally, all those organisations either have formal programs themselves or they have people in those organisations who can definitely point you in the right direction. I think you'll also generally find that there are individuals who work in either government departments or community organisations who are connected to the local community who can either provide you with people who deliver that training or, again, they can definitely point you in the right direction. I think you need to also have an understanding of what type of training it is that you're looking for. I think I mentioned before that foundational cultural awareness training um, can be a good point to start with. But then as you continue along that journey, I guess, of cultural competency, you might want to look at tailoring it much more specific to the needs of your particular service. So looking at issues like communication or family and community structures or just I guess more specifically around what service it is that you're providing. Foundational would mean what? So that's really a starting point, I guess, in, in the journey of cultural awareness training. Um, so I'd, I would recommend that for, for organisations or people who have no understanding or have had no training before. Um, and that just gives you a really solid background into, firstly, I, I guess, the impacts of colonisation, of uh, pre-colonisation Aboriginal society and then on the um, continuing impacts of colonisation and successive government policies and interaction with government agencies and just issues, I guess, around where Aboriginal people are placed in Australian society right now. I would suggest that if you were really um, honing in on a particular issue like elder abuse, then you would tailor a more specific training package around that. So you wouldn't necessarily go in with a foundational cultural awareness training program. It would be something that would focus on issues affecting older Aboriginal people in the community and how your service works with older Aboriginal people in the community. So I would look at tailoring it around that. So bringing in either Aboriginal elder groups or individual older Aboriginal people firstly to start with um, and then looking at potentially getting other services that are working with older Aboriginal people on that particular issue. Um, so I think if it is a specific issue that you really should get training tailored around that issue. Great, that's really good advice. So um, what is a reconciliation action plan 
So a, a reconciliation action plan, basically an overriding policy document that as an organisation, uh, even non-government or government or private um, entity, it's basically about um, having a coordinating document that commits your organisation to the principles of, of reconciliation with Aboriginal people. They have minimum requirements that you need to undertake to do that. And it basically gives you a coordinating document for um, planning your Aboriginal client service strategies or your Aboriginal employment strategies or basically anything that you want to do in regard to working with Aboriginal communities. At the very beginning of it, it sets up your commitment to the principles of reconciliation firstly uh, with the Aboriginal people of Australia and then holds your publicly accountable for any commitments that you make in regard to setting targets for Aboriginal services or Aboriginal employment and then you work closely with Reconciliation Australia to achieve any outcomes that you're looking to um, have. So it does provide you with that template to organise and coordinate your Aboriginal service strategies. It also I guess raises the profile of those strategies both within your organisation and also externally. So it's something that you can use as a base to engage with um, other Aboriginal organisations or communities um, and, and also just other government or non-government um, organisations as well. So a bit of a trap with a lot of plans and targets and strategies is that they sometimes get done, that's lovely, and then they go in the bottom drawer. So yeah. Um, how would you suggest organisations stop that from happening? Yeah, um, I guess really focusing on the public accountability of the document um, is, is a way of um, ensuring that it doesn't get lost in the bottom drawer. Um, I think having that direct support from the very top of the organisation, from the either the board or the CEO all the way down, really helps to enforce um, the strategies that you have in that document. And I guess they would be the main drivers, I would think, to not losing it. Well, I, I think that as long as your plan or, or strategy is very focused, that you don't get lost in trying to have too many activities in the plan. So keep it fairly simple. Focus on things like targets and outcomes um, and not a whole sort of shopping list of activities. I think... Aboriginal employment targets or increasing your Aboriginal workforce it not only helps with the, with the client base and your general engagement with the community, but having Aboriginal staff can generally increase your Aboriginal cultural competency of the organisation as well, particularly if you have an Aboriginal workforce um, that is from the local community. So if you have Aboriginal people that are connected to your local community, that's going to improve all kinds of services that you've got, whether it's services to Aboriginal clients, but it'll also increase your connection to the community, increase your cultural competency. Um, so it kind of has a flow-on effect, I think, to your whole sort of um, business. We also had the privilege of speaking to Terry, an Aboriginal elder from the Gosford area, who gave us her thoughts on elder abuse and how we can start to understand it. She presents us with ideas about how to view both sides of abuse. So I'm Terry. I'm actually from Redfern. But, um, I was born in a little town called Peak Hill. So I'm literally well and truly off country. Um, I'm a Raju woman that lived in Redfern 
for the you know the majority of my life so basically bricks and mortar down there at Redfern and we wanted to make a change in um, our life you know being in the city was totally different coming here to Central Coast it's serene there is it's a community of um, multi-cultures and then they come together as um, a united party I suppose would be a better a really good word to term to use for the Central Coast yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my background for um, uh, just shy of four years was um, driving buses for the government in Sydney mm-hmm. so I was basically a bus operator for Port Botany out near towards LARPA and driving the buses around just yeah totally miss it that's I can honestly say is what I actually miss. So about abuse of older people we're really wanting to talk about how to have to talk better to understand better to treat people with the dignity they need so do you think it's important for us to be having that conversation about pardon the pun but hell yes that needs to be addressed and it needs more more of the media needs to jump on board and actually have that out in the community across the nation literally there's just too many um incidents where elderly are being abused mm-hmm. and people around are just too scared to jump in you know when I was driving um, I've heard and seen so many elderly being abused thank god none of it was ever on any of my buses when I was behind the wheel because I wouldn't stand for it Um, but you know you see and hear of these stories where an elder is being abused, whether it be um, verbally or um, physically. It's not on, definitely not on. You know, the majority of the elders, they want to live the rest of their days in a comfortable position where they can still have their purse with their coin in it, you know, or be able to get onto that bus and go to the venue and do their shopping or go to the local club and be able to have their raffle, you know, just things like that makes them independent. Mm. And with the violence that's happening with the elderly today, it's putting them in their prison, you might as well say. Mm. So, you know, locking themselves away where they're not be able they're not able to express how they feel because they they don't know who they can trust. Mm. So it does start at the core, I suppose, if you have those people especially the parents that are surrounded by a great community Mm. you know to um, stop this bullying tactic that ripple begins to stop rolling so for that ripple to do that is the community based around those particular families that do the bullying and then you've got to look at the um, the way that these people because we can't say kids it's it's actually it's across the board so it's it's a range of um, age groups that actually do this you need to have that voice like I don't have that voice but I'm beginning to be a voice for myself you know so I can 
help somebody else become a voice as well. Mm. So the ripple effect, if it, it comes again. So it starts with one voice and then it just keeps going. So the more that actually jump on board to start that, mm. you know, everybody else will eventually get it and come to the party. Mm. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's kind of like part of the thing is the fear of talking or not wanting to dob other people in. Definitely, definitely. I'm just wondering, like, this podcast is for community workers to help them talk about these issues more, about how to talk to people who they believe are experiencing abuse. So have you got any ideas about... You can't see, unless it's physical, the emotion or trauma that one person is Mm. hiding. So for them to actually come out and talk about their um, what they're going through and how they are being um, emotionally dragged down and kept in that position of being in the gutter, you know, they won't come out because they don't know who they can trust. Mm. So... For people like that to be able to come out and talk to somebody is for people like you to go looking. You know, you don't leave stones unturned, Mm -hmm. but you do put the stones back in their place, okay? You don't just go out into a community and say, you know, we want to help you. That would be great because wouldn't it be nice if the whole community come running looking for hugs? That's, yeah, that's a fantasy that I think a lot of people actually have. So to have um, a community-based program, I suppose, would be to just get out there and, you know, say, we're here to help, we're here to give you a a shoulder to lean on or an arm to hold, you know, just to sit and chill. You don't have to say anything, you know. Let's let's see how that pans out because the emotion that those people actually feel are just so drowning that they don't know how to open the floodgates. And once they do, yeah, look out. You know, that I, I'm just thinking that maybe some people who don't know how to do that because they're so um, closed and have the um, don't have the willpower to do it. Mm. And yeah, and it, I think time is sounding like something. Time is of the essence yeah. because for an emotional person, a really turmoil emotional person would be would cry. Hopefully, that would just be the tip of the iceberg. Um, For somebody that can't do anything like that, they would need um, hours, days, weeks, months, you know, maybe even years of just someone sitting by their side, holding their hand, helping them with um, a step forward because Mm. you can't keep sitting there saying to a person, you need to unleash, you need to let go. That other person does not know what this person is holding in, how this person is holding in and what 
the terms of they've gone through for how long they've gone through it. Yeah. You know, nobody under actually understands why people are the attackers. People understand why people are the victims. How does that work? You know, it's why do attackers become attackers? Especially in your own family, it must be really hard Especially for in older own people to, you know, they've been a parent maybe or a grandparent or an auntie and then I think time, trust, mm, it's a tough area, isn't it? It is a tough area, mm. but mm. people do need to talk about it. It needs to be added to the way that they have the domestic violence ads out on posters, out on bus stops, you know, on on the TV. Put an ad out there to start, you know, helping these people look for something. Oh, my God, it's there. It's how you need to feel what someone's going through. Mm. You know, you can't understand the pain, the hurt, the suffering. Mm. They could have trauma of any sort. It could be just an emotional mm displacement from country is you know not a lot of people actually feel that yeah i mean i'm i'm thinking there are sort of places like the police people go go to if they're being abused but obviously people don't go to the police there are social workers there are all sorts of there are all sorts of people that don't wear a uniform yeah. that can be the um, saviour, I suppose, for some people, but not all. You know, I think that's a really good message. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd just like to say about how we can talk better about? abuse of older people not everybody's going to be so forthcoming and want to sit and have you know a conversation about how abuse is happening to them i don't want to dob in my granddaughter i don't want to dob in my son how does one actually sit there and be that bully type you know they are the victim but yet they don't want somebody else to be the victim we need the people out there that are the victims to actually open open up so who are the people to help those victims open up without becoming so overwhelmed that they can't i can't do this anymore you know you're you're emotionally bringing me to the bottomless pit with you how do you do that how do you actually ask a victim of anything whether it be DV, bashings, emotional trauma, or just them being displaced, dislodged in some way that they don't understand. How do we ask a victim to be forthcoming with what they're going through so we can add them to a statistic or they aren't a statistic until they open up? How do we do that? So these are the style of questions that you need to ask yourself. Feel your emotion. Let the gut of your pit, the pit of your gut, rather, open up. 
let something that you've never felt before turn and literally stir your gut until you can't, you, you feel like you're going to vomit. Maybe that's a term that somebody else needs to understand. How do you do the work that you're meant to do to help a victim? You can, you need to understand what the victim is actually feeling. Put yourself in that position where you have a child that is displaced through foster care, whatever the reason, but is physically abusive to the grandparent. Who's the victim? You know, you need to look at all areas where the pit of your stomach is like, oh, my God, it's tearing me in both directions because this child is not meant to be doing this to the grandparent. You know, the grandparent is meant to be so loving and caring where the child doesn't have any of this anger issues. Mm. Where does it come from? Mm. To look at the one that actually does the attacking is to grill that attacker as to why that person is an attacker. Yeah, it's complicated. It damn it is. It is. It is, definitely. I really appreciate you talking to us today. No problem. And um, I'm glad that uh, the Central Coast is a place that you're feeling good about. (laughs) Definitely. I love it too. (laughs) Definitely. There are a lot of voices and opinions to be heard throughout these episodes. We would like to thank everyone who participated and shared their opinions and expertise with us. If you'd like to join the conversation, please send us an email at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. And as always, if you or someone you know is experiencing or at risk of elder abuse, then please speak up. If you're on the Central Coast, contact the Elder Abuse Service on 4324 5611. And for all other areas across Australia, you can call the National Elder Abuse Helpline on 1800 353 374 and you'll be directed to your closest service. So until next time, thanks from all of us at the Community Legal Education Branch and Elder Abuse Service from Legal Aid New South Wales.